0: and welcome ladies and gentlemen boys and girls guys gals and non-binary pals to another episode of all the above the show that gives you an unstandardized take on education i'm jeffrey garrett one of your co-hosts and i've been a middle and high school principal and a high school social studies teacher and as always i'm joined by
1: manuel rustin your favorite teacher's favorite teacher. I'm a high school history teacher. I teach in the Los Angeles area. This has been my 16th year in the classroom. And this, of course, is all the above. Your home for news and analysis of all things related to our world of education. Now, Jeff, I do believe this is the fifth socially distanced or physically distanced episode that we have recorded during this um, quarantine, shelter-at-home coronavirus crisis. Um, And Jeff, I don't know if you noticed, but... A lot of districts this week and um, a lot of states this week made that very, very tough call to declare an official end to the in-person school year. So a lot of teachers received the news this week that they will not be seeing their students in person again this school year. I know my district made that call a few weeks ago, but um, I saw a wave of heartbreak sweeping across the nation amongst educators for sure. Uh, Jeff, what do you have to say to those, those teachers and those school staff who are just now realizing that the school year, at least the in-person part of it, is officially a wrap.
0: Well, you know, I feel it very, very personally because uh, just this past week here in Los Angeles, the official announcement was made to, uh, to you know, say that the, the school year is, uh, is over in the physical sense um, here in Los Angeles. And, uh, you know, that school campuses are going to be closed, not only for the remainder of this school year, but uh, throughout the summer. And that summer school is going to be done in a, in a virtual context as well. So, you know, I think on the one hand, everybody who's been watching the news and, you know, reading it all uh, could kind of see the writing on the wall and understand that this was likely to happen. But that doesn't take away the just, you know, sort of heartbreak, I think, that, uh, that comes with it, both because uh, teachers and students are missing the community of school, and teachers who are, uh, and educators I should say, generally who are worried about, uh, especially students who we know are, are are sort of living more on the margins uh, in society and and who rely more on school for not only social supports but also you know things like food and physical safety in some cases. And so, uh, you know, the, the sense of loss for those kids is, is pretty profound. Um, and then, of course, and I, I know you feel this for sure, is, is this year's high school seniors and all that they're missing, right, to just have this sort of abrupt, globally tragic end to their school year uh, is tough, right? And, you know, I think back on Graduation and uh, you know prom and all of the sort of exciting end of year things as a senior, where you, you know you're having this capstone set of experiences to your to your educational career as a as a child at least, uh, and that's been that's been robbed in a lot of ways from from a whole class of students. So a lot of emotions there, but but also I think you know no one or few people <laughs> I should say are pushing back on this is anything other than the right policy move from a public health perspective. So, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Few
1: people are pushing back, but, uh, you know, some folks out there, I won't say any names, <clears throat> Dr. Oz, but, um, some folks say mm. it's not so bad to just send the kids back. Only uh two or 3% of them are going to die.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what's Thankfully, two or 3% of the kids, right? Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. Um, exactly. well, yeah, I mean, you said it like it's, it's something that anybody that's been following the situation, following the news. I mean, it it shouldn't come to as too much of a surprise to anybody that the in-person school year just it wasn't going to to continue. Um, but still, though, even though you know it in your heart, just to hear that or to see that announcement and it become official is just like uh, it's just it's just painful. I know myself. I was hoping that we could get back, even if just for like one week, just to like see each other and like reflect. And say an official like you know see you next year type of thing, but obviously the uh, situation does not allow for that. So I guess it is what it is. And there's so much going on. I mean, there's so many daily developments and, and updates regarding all the different complexities of this of this COVID nineteen crisis as it relates as it relates to our schools. Another thing that happened this week was um, the Cal State system basically announcing that if you are a current junior in high school, they're gonna waive the requirement that you take the SAT for admission Jeff tell us a little bit about that
0: yeah this this was uh, perhaps not totally unexpected uh, um, of a decision but also something that uh, you know that I think has uh, has just a tremendous ripple effect across the higher ed spectrum in general um, so the U- the University of California system had already made this decision so I think folks locally were' expecting the, the Cal States or the CSUs to sort of follow suit. But they, um, you know, essentially, as they have already been experiencing great pressure to do, Um, had uh, come to the conclusion that they were not going to require, uh, you know, the major standardized tests. So SAT and ACT as part of the admissions process for uh, now for this year's high school juniors. So I think, um, you know, given all the uncertainty, given the, uh, you know, the existing equity issues, which we've talked about previously, uh, you know, on the show here, uh, that are only being exacerbated, and especially in like a controlled, standardized testing situation, are even more exacerbated. Right? Uh, it seems like the the right move to make. Um, that doesn't mean that like now everything's a, a beautiful test-free utopia uh, for for the kids or why not, or Jeff? Educators. Why not? <laughs> well, so the question is like, if they're not considering the tests, what are they considering? Right. And essentially, this, the decision the CSUs uh, have made is that they're going to be um, much more heavily weighting GPA than any right. other factor in the admissions process. And so for students with above a 3.0 GPA, they'll be like effectively, um, you know, sort of uh, considered uh, admissible to a CSU campus if they have between a 2.5 and a 3.0 GPA. That's the place where some of those other factors are coming into consideration, which right. now instead of testing is going to include things like um, extracurricular activities and uh, you know, some of the more subjective, like you know how many rigorous courses you took in your high school career and, and those sorts of things. So some of the more perhaps subjective aspects of the admissions process. Personally, I don't think the subjective aspects of the process are to be feared, um, you know, I don't, I don't think there is truly an objective process, but, uh, you know, it does raise some questions and there's even an argument to be made that, you know, in some ways that those tests, uh, you know, worked to the advantage of some students, uh, students of color or low income students. So all that to say, it's just, it's complicated, right? It's not a, it's not like we snap our fingers and now we've achieved equity because the SAT is gone. Um, I think there's, there's still a lot of work to do on that front. But in this context, to me, it was the right policy move to make. Um, and, and we know Manuel being such a such a fan of the value of standardized tests that you must be crushed oh. at this time. So do you need some support? Can I, can I offer like a, a virtual hug or something, man? Like what, what do you need right now?
1: Yeah, you're right. I'm, I am totally crushed by... <laughs> <laughs> the lack of standardized testing that we're going to have this year, both in terms of my students taking tests for our our obviously the uh, state testing and SATs and all that, I'm just I'm just so heartbroken, Jeff. Um, but I will say, I do believe there's going to be a scramble amongst um, researchers and 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 doctoral candidates to put together research studies about this next wave of college um, freshmen who are coming in because. I mean, if sure. we go a year or two without these tests and if the applicant, applicant pool ends up still being relatively um, similar, especially thinking about the UC system and how uh, difficult it is to get into a UC, if they go without the SATs for a year or two, let's say, and their applicant pool is still just as competitive and talented and great as it was prior to the tests, maybe we will see that um, we didn't need these tests in the first place. I know you are... As a former uh, admissions person, your, person yourself, I know you see a lot of value in these tests in terms of um, helping to decipher um, college readiness and, and make those difficult choices, like you said, about um, those, those students who maybe are GPA-wise um, you know, uh, at a certain level, and, and it's kind of hard to, to separate the ones who are most ready for college from the ones who are not. But um, I think this is a moment where we will be able to look back and say, hey, look, we actually did need those tests. Or, in my um, prediction, my opinion, we didn't need them after all. So I guess we'll see in a couple of years what the research says about this era of high school juniors and seniors as they progress on to college.
0: Yeah, yeah it's a fascinating, like, real-world experiment, right? Um, so I'm, I'm very interested to see, you know, with a little bit of historical perspective, a few years from now, like what, what we learn from this.
1: Yeah. All right, Jeff. Well, all right. So there's a lot going on. And obviously we've had a a weekly series of COVID-19 as it relates to education episodes. And we already looked at or um, whether or not the school year should go on at all. We had an episode looking at what to do about grades. We had an episode looking at um, teaching math from home and the struggle for parents to try to keep their students learning math and progressing in math, even though they're learning from home. And last week, we had an episode about AP testing for this year and how the College Board has altered the AP test to try to still get the AP exams completed, even though schools are, are relatively out of session around the whole world. So this week, Jeff, what are we going to look at?
0: Yeah, so Manuel, I'm, I'm real excited uh, about today's episode. We have on um, just a, a powerful voice in education. It's someone who uh, who I think many folks in our audience may have heard from or even uh, read some of his books, and uh, that is uh, Principal Kafele. Uh, he goes, of course, by Principal Kafele, but Baruti Kafele, um, school leadership, educator uh, based out of New Jersey, but of course, national uh, consultant and trainer of educators and in particular, uh, administrators and its, and aspiring administrators uh, across the country. And he's going to be with us today to help explore these big questions around what it means to be an effective leader uh, in this crazy new reality that, that we have found ourselves in. And I know from, you know from working with school leaders here in Los Angeles that um, just as with teachers, this, this change, these shutdowns and, the, and the, the sort of onset of this pandemic has been equally disruptive to the lives and work of principals and administrators across the country and you know what, what you're used to doing as an administrator to help lead your school has had to be totally reinvented in many ways. And uh, so we're gonna, we're gonna get into that and kind of unpack some things with, uh, with the, the wonderful Principal Kafele today. So you definitely don't wanna miss it.
1: Dope, all right. So we're gonna skip the do now for this episode or we're gonna jump right into our seminar with Principal Kafele and explore this general topic of leading through crisis. All right, stay tuned.
0: All right, folks, welcome to today's seminar. And as we just mentioned, we have with us uh, just an incredible guest, someone really excited to bring uh, to the show and to our All the Above audience to talk with us about just a, a fascinating issue right now, which is in this world where we've had to reinvent school all of a sudden, You know, what does effective school leadership look like Um, and what what is happening around the country that um, that folks might really need to know about in terms of what it's what it's taking for principals and school leaders to be effective during this very challenging time. So we wanna welcome to the show, uh, you probably know him as Principal Kafele. Um, Baruti Kafele, uh, who is better known as Principal Kafele, is a highly regarded urban educator in New Jersey, uh, where he's been practicing for over 20 years. Principal Kafele is widely recognized as a master teacher and transformational school leader. He's won numerous awards, including the Milken Educator Award, Uh, being selected as the East Orange School District and Essex County Public Schools Teacher of the Year, and he was a finalist for the New Jersey State Teacher of the Year Award. Um, As a principal, he led the turnaround of four different New Jersey schools, including Newark Tech, which went on to be recognized by U.S. News and World Report as one of America's best high schools. He is also the author of 10 books, which include his national bestsellers, The Principal 50, is my school a better school because I lead it? And the Aspiring Principal Fifty, his latest book, which is the Aspiring Assistant—excuse uh, me, which is the Assistant Principal Fifty—will be released in June of 2020. Welcome, Principal Kafele, to all the above.
2: Good to be here. Good to be in the presence of the two of you.
1: Thank you. Thank you for coming through, my milking Educator brother. Now to- I have one of your book. One of your books right here, closing the the attitude gap, but. My bookshelf is not big enough for all of the books and you are prolific in writing and in speaking and you've written and spoken about the importance of a school principal having a vision from the from the beginning and of course, with this crisis that's happening now, and the world flipped upside down, um, things for a lot of folks are just entirely unprecedented. We're wondering if you think that still applies, or if you think there are new skills that a president, uh, that a principal needs to have at this moment.
2: Yeah, that you know, that vision is is critical. And I, you know, I'm looking at the principalship from afar in most cases because I haven't done it since 2011 but but there's there's something advantageous about that where it allows me to kind of look at them see what they're doing analyze what they're doing see the differences in what they do because so many so, so many of them do lead differently including myself so but that vision is still critical but when you talk about in in an age of of covid-19 or even a global pandemic one has to consider how in what way do I need to tweak that vision in terms of who we are and where we ultimately will be because school is not what it used to be. And there's a whole lot of young people, I mean, millions of young people who are not engaged in school at all because they don't have access to Wi-Fi, They don't have access to a computer. So school has come to a screeching halt for a whole lot of young people. Then I've learned that there are a lot of teachers that don't have Wi-Fi. That live in rural uh, rural towns. So there, there's a lot of disconnects that we just were not prepared for. But I always say like I've been doing a lot of Zoom presentations to administrators, to teachers and in my own stuff I do on live. And and I say to them, you know, now as principal, your home has become the school's main office. Right. So although the, the folks are not coming to your office, so to speak, as they would in a school, everything emanates out of your, your space, nevertheless, your office. So now how are you using that space as it relates to the vision which 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 is ever evolving now that you have for your school? And 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 not to give you such a long answer, because I know you've got other questions, but let me let me let me say this as it relates to that. I say since that office since that your home is that main office, I asked the question, how are you utilizing your office? And, and at the core, let's say hypothetically, all teachers are teaching every day, right? Um, and hopefully that is the case regardless of whatever number or percentage of students are participating or active, whatever num- whomever is there let's say that education is happening. Let's say that conversations are happening. Let's say that dialogue is happening between teacher and student via Zoom or via Google Meet or whatever the platform that they may be using. I'm saying to the principal, somewhere at the end of the day, you have to have a staff meeting. So so, so think about at a school under normal circumstances, you might have a staff meeting once or twice a month. Some schools, it it might be once a week. But, in my case, our district what they what was what was negotiated was once a month in one district and twice a month in another district, I work. Here, I'm saying every day, five days a week, because if one day goes by, if one day elapses and education took place amongst your staff and students in their respective homes, but you know nothing about it, then there's this huge disconnect. A day went on, a day transpired and you don't know anything about it. You're not in, you, you, don't know, you don't have any feedback in terms of what's happening with young people. What were the challenges today? What were the victories today? How many students attended? Who, 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 who's dealing with various different challenges at home, right, different trials, different tribulations that you may be able to share so that we can, we can brainstorm and figure out how we can collectively help that child, help that family, given the challenges, mom out of work. Um, and the various other challenges that one may face at home, right? So that vision may not be the traditional vision that that principal has for a school under normal circumstances. It might be the vision of how do we function through COVID 19 so that on the other side of it, we're ready to pick up from where we left off.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting that you say that. Uh, and, you know, for, for me as a as a former principal, that, that certainly resonates. I actually would, would love to get your, your take on this because here, here in Los Angeles and here actually in California, uh, most of the largest districts in the state have essentially come to these kind of modified collective bargaining agreements with, uh, with the teachers that actually place uh, real limits on the frequency of faculty meetings. Um, and, and those being limited to, you know, to once a week, um, here in Los Angeles. So, you know, I wonder, I wonder if, you know, if you were in this context, like what advice might you give to, to principals that are, that are faced with some constraints like that?
2: Yeah. You know, that was my constraint. Um, I was in a district for several years where I had access to my entire staff once per month. Now the staff probably loved that. You know, I don't. I've. I'm. I'm yet to meet that teacher that loves being in a staff meeting, unless it's somebody that's a real supporter of 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 kafele. So I. So I like being in that environment, hearing the things he says that he engages us in that type of thing. But that's 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 a minority on the staff. A staff meeting at the end of a long day is not something that one typically looks up looks looks forward to. So, a staff meeting, contractually. I had 90 minutes maximum time. I don't have any colleagues that I knew of that that used all of that time. They they'd be kind of in and out of there 30, 45 minutes. My staff understood I needed them, right? So we and we we use the entire 90 minutes. And in the winter, when it when it got dark early, we'd be leaving in in, in the night, in the nighttime, in the evening. But that was okay. I needed to maximize every minute, every second, because there was so much to talk about. And I don't mean me dealing with administrative issues, I'm talking about me wearing a professional developer's hat and we're engaged in teaching, and we're engaged in P, um, professional learning as it relates to um, um, teaching and learning. So that's the kind of PD that I led, because, um, uh, staff meetings that I led, because when email and the internet came on the scene, and that was that was like right 1998, 99, like right when I started, here it is. I got this new medium called internet and email. So now I, I had the wherewithal to say, I don't have to use a staff meeting to deal with the administrative aspects that leadership typically deals with in a staff meeting because of this great invention called the internet. Now I can sit at my computer, type out Everything that I would have discussed in a staff meeting as a bulletin, email to email that to them at 10 o'clock. That was my ritual, 10 o'clock Sunday morning, and then go on to church. And then they can read it at their leisure. You know, of course, I'm not going to require that anybody open up a work email on a Sunday. But because of the culture that had been established at the school, there was a culture there that we may as well read it. So they would read it. I always had an interesting commentary that I wrote at the end, which was just a reflection of my thoughts in that moment. I call it the cafe commentary. And, and, and most of the staff, as I learned, gravitated to that first to see, well, what was this guy thinking this week, right? As it, as it relates to how we go into next week. And then they read the rest of the bulletin. So now, Monday Monday afternoon with the staff meeting, I can deal with teaching and learning. and I can deal with how do we connect, for example, data in 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 most schools where there are black boys the, the biggest challenge is our black boys right as, as as it relates to achievement in this regard so now we can talk 90 minutes on what is it that we're doing to ensure that we're connecting with our black young men so that they're achieving at the same levels as everybody else across the state right so as opposed to Having a 15 minute talk about the, the, the paper shortage of the copier in the teacher's lounge. I I, I can't use that time that way. Right. Or, or, or spending time talking about the fact that there are certain teachers that weren't at their door at the change of classes and any other administrative thing that we could talk about. Let me put that in the bulletin. Let me remind them that we're holding one another accountable for the for whatever's in the bulletin and then now let's let's talk about those constructive things that help a youngster to maximize his or her potential at the staff
1: meeting yeah and well you're you know you've been all over the place and you work with schools all over the place and districts all over the place and and principals and although we're all confined to our our homes right now more or less we're wondering what are you hearing or seeing as far as examples of of Terrific leadership in this moment, given that all of the usual um, patterns and constraints that have existed before have changed quite a bit. So, what are you hearing about what's going on out in the field? Any um, examples of great, fantastic leadership right now?
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing it. Not in, and again, not in the traditional sense of of what happens in the school, but I'm hearing it in terms of those uh, those, those staff members, teachers, counselors, etc., administrators being in touch with their students and families, right? Um, Whether it be um, virtually, whether it be in person, not not so much at the school, but you got a lot of young people who are, are, as you would know, arriving to the school for um, breakfast and lunch, right? So you got certain people stationed in certain schools and able to still maintain those connections. Um, I also know that there's some folks that don't wanna do that. Right? So it really depends on I, I, I guess, on who they are um, in their capacity of whatever the work is that they do, whether it be teacher leader or whatever. but but you got folks there that, that just want to make sure that they're connected to children and just going above and beyond, you know all sorts of health risk involved, but going above and beyond so that they can ensure to the best of their ability that students are doing okay. Also, there are situations where attendance is not good. So I've seen where there, there are principals who are going above and beyond to make sure that they reach out to, to parents to get their children involved virtually as well. The, the, the main thing for me, there, there are two things when I think about this every day. Number one is attendance. And number two is engagement. I have, a, I have academics somewhere down, down below right in terms of my ranking. It's 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 that it's that conversation. It's that teacher who prior to the virus positioned him or herself as someone that a youngster genuinely wants to be around. Wants to be in that teacher space. Wants to hear from that teacher. Feeling that I, I I feel that much more whole because of the things that my teacher says to me. So I'm saying to teachers all the time on on in, in my platforms to don't worry about math, science, social studies, and language arts right now. When you when you, when you log on, just engage them, talk to them, let them talk to you, let them talk to one another. They haven't seen one another. They they it's at the point now where they need one another. And they don't have that opportunity so now you've got them all on the screen let them interact with one another because they miss each other and then we'll, we'll get to the academics right and and, and 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 i think it can be done that way but but that attendance piece is crucial and, and 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 a lot of that a great deal of it is access and that's that whole conversation about equity and access right so 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 we learned that we we, we learned of, of of more inequity than we probably even realized once this happened, and saw that education again came to a halt for so many young people.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm so glad you're raising this uh, this issue of equity and uh, the the new reality we're facing. Because you know, I think there's a there's certainly a strong argument to be made that this this new distance learning context is perhaps. Surfacing some of the inequities that we already knew were were kind of baked into our educational system, yeah. in in ways that that even exacerbates them, uh, you know, or highlights them, you know, to a to a higher degree than perhaps we would even have recognized under normal circumstances. Absolutely. And so, you know, with that has come, you know, some some debate. Our our first uh, re, you know remote broadcasting uh, episode about a month ago now was responding uh, to, a, to a tweet from uh, Professor Tyrone Howard, essentially making the case that, you know, we should have a moratorium on school because of the huge equity issues that are gonna present themselves with distance learning. So I'm wondering, you know, from your perspective, if you can can go a little, little deeper in your thoughts about what the equity issues are that we're facing now and kind of what that means for schools in this context.
2: Yeah, you know, it, depending on, because, you know, you, you got such a diversity of schools in terms of the significance of, um, of, of technology in the home to, to them in terms of the progress of the school. So you so you'll have a school that says that that says that we we want we we want to have distance. I'm talking about doing normal times now. We want to have distance learning. So so that 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 that, um, that instruction or, or that dialogue between teacher and student outside of normal school hours, right? Whereas that other school in some other place that may not even be on their radar, right? So that school that's ahead of the curve in terms of how they use cyberspace, they may be, perhaps, and again, I'm, I'm speculating now, because I don't have any particular schools in mind, perhaps they were prepared for this because these are things that they do. The, the, this was a priority for them that, young people have wi-fi access young people have chromebooks or whatever whatever technology they have at home so not that they anticipated a virus but they anticipated they anticipated that young people needed to have access whereas at other school everything may have been focused or centered around what happens in the building right so the technology was secondary in terms of priority or or even tertiary so now here comes a virus And clearly, I'm at school now. We're we're not ready because this wasn't a priority during normal school times. So I'm saying here, and and, and just kind of thinking about what Dr. Howard said, here we are, this virus comes, school is shut down, and you got schools with 30, 40, 50% of young people that do not have access and therefore cannot learn. I don't know that I would go as far as a moratorium. Um, because a lot of those schools that where, 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 there's, where there's this disparity and there's a lot of young people that do not have that access, but there are a lot of young people of color that do have access, right? And I don't wanna necessarily deprive them all. I, I get the fact that some of them are not going, to, not going to have the access during this period, but the ones that do, and those districts that are still trying, starting at the district level to ensure that um that we're, that we're setting up hot spots we're doing whatever we have to do to increase the number or the percentage of kids who have access that's what i'd rather see done i, don't, I, don't, I just don't want to shut it all i just, I just don't want to shut it down completely you know it's like i think about the uh the work that you're doing right now in the work that i do um i don't want to shut down what i do you know so i had to find another way this this was not one of my primary tools you know, my tool, you know, I'm an in-person type of guy. I don't like talking into computers, but I do it on my Sunday broadcast. But outside of that, this is really not what I do. Like if a, if a school, if a client asks me to do a a, a four-hour PD um, via Zoom versus coming out in person, I, 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 would, I would try to discourage that. I, I want to be there in person. But since now I'm forced to do this, I'm going to do it. I'm going to adapt. I'm not going to shut it down. I'm not going to shut down my work. Uh, because I can't
1: fly to a location. Right, right. So um, ab- about those issues that you're you're speaking to, then, uh, especially when it comes to the tech- technology and, and having a school where maybe thirty to forty percent of students aren't able to plug in for one reason or another um, if you were still working at your school site or for a district um, what would be some of your words of advice for current educators and policymakers for how to deal with those equity issues in the moment given that you know in a lot of places we can't just deliver the technology right to students right away so what should an educator let's say at a school where a lot of the students aren't able to plug in? What, what sorts of things should that educator maybe be doing to try to um, make the best out of this situation?
2: Yeah, well, see second, secondarily from the technology are those packets. And I'm not a big fan of packets. I wasn't a fan of it when I, was, um, when I was a practitioner. In fact, I wasn't even a fan of packets for substitute teachers, right? But if we don't have the technology, I'm, 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 I still gotta do something. So I'm going to provide the the packets. I would advise any principal at at least have work for young people to do. But on the teacher side, make sure that you guys are taking that work seriously. Because if it if it boils down to a packet such as what a teacher typically gives to a substitute teacher, and that work is not even inspected, it's just when it's it's just busy work. Students over time, as they get older, they know that it's just busy work. They know that nobody's going to monitor that work. I would want as a school community or, or, or my work with other principals provide the packet, but, but ensure with, with staff and students that they're being, and and families that they're being held accountable for that work. Make sure that that's quality work. Make sure that that's work that's helping them to grow, helping them to learn, as opposed to just keeping them busy for an hour. And then, and then, and then for the other 23 hours, they're doing whatever they're doing at home.
0: Now, uh, Principal Cafele, your, your next book, uh, as I understand, is going to be focusing on uh, the, the sort of work of assistant principals, yeah. and uh, as, as a former assistant principal, um, you know, myself, uh, that is, and as someone who works with assistant principals now as well, um, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see what uh, what you have coming, but I'm also wondering if you can perhaps share with us some of your thoughts now about, you know, in, in this world uh, where school is happening uh, remotely, um, and where so much of what the kind of Perhaps typical work of an assistant principal would be is now work that at least can't happen in the same way. Uh, you know what are what are some ways in which the work of assistant principals might be particularly important in this context, or ways in which assistant principals might need to you know perhaps modify what they're doing to to be the impactful leaders that that our schools need them to be.
2: Yeah, you know it's it's interesting. Um, See, the, the assistant principalship has, has somewhere along the way evolved into my, my passion, my, my pa- all the work I do. I think that that's the most, um, the, the most important for me personally right now, because as I always say, the assistant principalship is the most misunderstood and underutilized position in education. And you see it you, you, you see the manifestation of it so many different kind of kind of kind of ways that the assistant principal is being utilized Across America. I am I'm in, I'm in hundreds of schools and I get to see it But at the core of their work is 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 in so many cases probably 95% of the cases is disciplinary So they're 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 in a school where there's a lot of disciplinary issues, which means that there's a lot of co- climate culture issues. Discipline is the is just the manifestation of a, of a climate and culture that needs attention. But where that school exists, then you find this assistant principal or assistant principals, depending on what their, their, their functions are in that capacity, they're, they're, they're reading referrals all day and they're acting upon referrals all day. So now here's this assistant principal who's this dean of discipline, and this is what they do from eight to three or whatever the school hours it may be. Now, if that person does not evaluate staff, then fine, let it rip, right? But still pay attention to the climate and culture. But if that person evaluates teachers, Let's say that, let's say it's a small school, small elementary school of, of two administrators, one principal, one assistant principal, and they split it up 50-50. Well, if that assistant principal evaluates half of that staff and that person spends the bulk of their day disciplining students, if there's two, three, four, five lunch periods, then supervising a cafeteria during those lunch periods. If they're if 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 they're unloading buses, including late buses, then spending half a first period, if they're prepping to load buses after school before the students dismissed and then part of the last period. So they're spending all this time supervising cafeteria, bus duty, and then doing discipline work. What about those teachers that need him or her academically as far as the instructional leadership component? Those kids are suffering in ways that, that probably cannot be measured because of the role of that assistant principal. And that and 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 that doesn't that's, that doesn't absolve the principal. I'm just focused on the on the assistant right now. So now, those youngsters are probably being damaged in ways that we can't even measure because there's no relationship between that assistant principal and and and, and that teacher. So now that assistant principal is held accountable for evaluations of those teachers twice, right? In most cases. Awesome uh, a matter of fact, some districts are once. But here's what happens in, in, in that scenario. When it's evaluation season, that assistant principal will dash into that classroom, do a quick five,, 10, 10 minute observation, get down what he, what he or she feels I need to get down. Now Now I move to the next class. So now, theoretically, because I've seen this, that assistant principal will will observe could observe 10, 15, 20 teachers in one day for about 5 minutes just so I can get documentation and now I can go and write up the evaluation have the teacher sign it and whew, it's done right so now it's a lose lose for everybody it's a lose for the youngster obviously it's a lose for the teacher it's a lose for the assistant principal's growth and development it's a lose for the principal it's a lose for the entire school community so therefore my my crusade is to is to exa- is for us to examine the role of that assistant principal starting with graduate school so that this person comes in differently. So the book wasn't written solely for the assistant principal. It was written for the superintendent. It was written for the assistant superintendent, and it was obviously written for the principal. So now I said all that to go back to your question. Here's this assistant principal at home during a global pandemic. I can't tell you the number of assistant principals who have responded to posts I've written as it relates to this global pandemic who say to me, in an educational context, who will say to me, Principal Kafei I'm really not doing anything. I don't know what to do because the principal hasn't called me. So they, so they, they home, you know, to use the slang, they home chilling, right? Because nobody's reached out. And, 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 and particularly that new assistant principal, and there's a whole lot of them, right? So that, that first year, second year, but particularly that first year assistant principal, they don't know what to do because they haven't been given orders or instruction unless they have a principal that has the, has the wherewithal to say, look, I can create synergy with my assistant principal. I can do a one plus one equals three, as opposed to me trying to do this thing while that person's sitting at home. Right. So I'm saying so. So therefore, I've been saying to the assistant principals in terms of directly to answer that question. Don't wait for your principal. Right. I want you to always remember that you are number two. You're not number one. That is not your school to lead. Right. So that's so I emphasize that. But don't wait for your principal. Reach out to your principal and either ask your principal, where do you find where, where do you see? Where, where, where do you see the best fit for me right now in this pandemic? Or say to the principal, I've got some ideas. I'd like to run past you and see what you think that I'd like to do as it relates to continuing to move our school forward, even though all of us are at home practicing social distancing.
1: All right, now, um, Principal Kefeli, again, thank you for taking the time out to join us remotely and be on our show remotely. Now, we, you've been public about your own battle with COVID-19. We're wondering if you could share with us a little bit about what that experience was like and how you're doing now. Yeah. You
2: know, it was, um uh, myself and my wife sitting right over here was, it's the two of us. I just wasn't talking about her much on there, but, um, she got it. I, I gave it to her. Ah, <laughs> uh, how could you? <laughs> yeah. We in this tight space together, but you know, um, you know we i can laugh about it now she's not laughing just yet because she's still battling a little bit more but um but you but but i always say to folks we still got to find things to laugh at despite how difficult times are right now but here's the thing i' uh, make a long story short about i guess it was about three weeks ago now my uh, my hamstrings were just giving me this 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 excruciating pain um i didn't know what it was i, I couldn't sleep I had to take Tylenol just to kind of relax me. And I, I did not associate that with um with coronavirus at all. I just said, man, my 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 the back of my thighs, my hamstrings, is this this is brutal. And you know, I, I walk and run every day, but that's not that I know what that pain is. That's good pain, right? This, 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 this was something else, right? So then I guess about a a, a day later or so, I'm I'm sitting here eating dinner. And I realized I, I don't taste this food at all. So then I held it up to my nose. I said, I don't smell it either. And then I went around the house, just picking up things that have a fragrance or an odor. And I said, let me, let me see if I can smell this. And I, I couldn't smell anything, nothing. So then I, I had this, this cough to emerge. And I said, I, I need to go get tested, right? I, You know, especially because I, I did the research on the, on the loss of smell and taste. And I said, they said, that's a, that's a primary symptom. So I said, let me go get tested. So, I went to this place down here in Jersey City, which is where I am, where I live, and told them my symptoms and told them I had underlying conditions you know heart disease, diabetes, blood pressure, high blood pressure, all that kind of thing and um they said they couldn't test me they yeah I guess the, I guess I need to walk in there like I was half dying. They said there were limited tests, and we we can't test you. I said, but I'm in bad shape, and i I got folks at home they said, yeah, we." We they so the doctor said, "Look, I'm I'm diagnosing you as having coronavirus." You he said, "Quarantine yourself for the next two weeks," but I just can't test you, right? And I said, "Okay." So by that evening, I was in bad shape. You know, it 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 just took a turn, and by the next day, you know, it's like you, you can't even walk. You know, my wife couldn't even walk up the stairs without my son pushing her up the stairs. You know, it's it was um it was that bad. But I I couldn't I, yeah it's, I couldn't function. You know the um the, the fever came later but the um the, the sweat the the body aches the the uh the headache the um the, the shortness of breath the, the excessive coughing you know and that would kind of come in spurts but the main thing you know we're all different someone wrote me a te- uh, a message a message this morning and said to me uh, they said Prince McFailey, several members of my family have coronavirus can you give me some tips for um for how they can get through it and I said probably not because we we all respond to it differently and what when you know how i responded because i needed to be in a hospital but i decided i don't want to be in one i'm just going i'm going to tough this out like i do everything else in life so but the but but someone who was feeling what i was feeling they may need to be in somebody's emergency room right so the 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 worst of it for me was the chills that that was violent so when i watched um I watched Chris Cuomo, Chris Cuomo one night, and he said that those chills forced him to break a tooth, right and i and I could relate to that because it 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 was it was that violent. so those were there for two days and in the back of my mind, I'm like, am I going to survive this thing by staying home with these chills? you know because and um you know so it took a little bit, and ultimately, you know here i am i'm I'm at hundred percent so i've been i've I've probably put in about 12 miles since I came out of it outdoors.
0: Well, uh, that is, you know, in as much as it's scary, also a a moving, um, you know, a moving explanation of, you know, what a lot of folks are struggling with across the country right now. And um, I know I speak for many when I say we, um, you know, we appreciate uh, you you being, you know, open to sharing your story and, and hopefully that can be some, Inspiration or sense of hope to folks who are who are grappling with this across the country right now. Um, so, Principal Kufele, we uh, we greatly appreciate you giving up your time and joining us today on all the above. And um, for folks who you know maybe want to learn more about your work, or uh, you know want to you know uh, purchase your books or attend some of your professional development, where can they go to learn more about you?
2: Yeah, just come on over to principalcafele.com, K-A-F-E-L-E, principalcafele.com. And I had posted on all the platforms this morning that, um, you know, since we're home, I'm going to do a, I guess it's about a 16-week consecutive week, Saturday morning, 11 o'clock Eastern time, um, assistant principal, I'm calling it a course. So, a pr- assistant principal course for aspiring assistant principals. Thirty minutes every Saturday, free. You know, no cost, as they say, free game, and um, you know, just just giving up that information to help somebody to become a better assistant principal than to be a, a great disciplinarian, right? Kids don't need all that counseling all day that that so many assistant principals engage them in, if if the climate and culture are such that we don't have to treat it that way. Right. So I want to talk about all that. So we do that from from the first Saturday in May is when we're going to begin. So go to PrincipalCafele.com and you'll see more information the first Saturday in May all the way to the last Saturday in August.
0: All right. Well, you heard it here, folks. Uh, PrincipalCafele.com to get more information about our fantastic guest today. Thank you for joining us for today's seminar. And next up is today's class dismissed.
1: All right, folks, now it's time for Class dismiss where we like to give a shout out to folks doing excellent things in the world of education. Jeff, who we got today? Well, Manuel, well, uh,
0: today we have some of the unsung heroes, let's say, uh, in not only our public schools, but also uh, in our sort of public health system and public health equation more generally. And I think, uh, you know, these folks are on the very front lines of serving the needs of students across the country. And as we have moved into this, of course, global pandemic that we're experiencing, their importance uh, is also being felt not only by the school community directly, but by the larger medical community. And of course, the audience I'm talking about is our school nurses. Um, So across the country, we have, you know, hundreds of thousands of school nurses, um, many of whom are going above and beyond to serve the needs of their community uh, today as we battle the COVID-19 crisis. So um, NEA Today, which is a publication from the National Education Association, essentially the, uh, the largest um, teachers union in the country, uh, did a recent profile this past week on just a few school nurses from across the country who are who are really making a difference. So today we wanna to give a special shout out to a couple of the folks who were profiled in that article. And we're gonna start with Sue Weimer, who's a nurse uh, from Shawnee High School in Burlington County, New Jersey, uh, who is not only on the front lines of this crisis with her school community, um, and not only works part-time as an ER nurse at a children's hospital in Philadelphia on the weekends, but is now working at that same hospital to help deal with the surge of coronavirus patients there. So big props to you, Sue. Appreciate your, uh, you know, just uh, above and beyond supports for the community. Also profiled in this article was a woman named Carmen Hill, who was the school nurse for Gateway Elementary School in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, And she has been spending her days reaching out to all 600 of the families in her school, helping to make sure that students and families have what they need and are feeling seen and supported during this time. Um, And of course, like in many schools across the country, lots of the families of students at her school are struggling with medical issues already, right? With asthma and other uh, medical conditions that require chronic care. Um, And so she's been helping to keep those folks connected to school and connected to resources that they need um, and sort of going A to Z down the alphabet. And then she said, when she gets to the end, she's gonna start right over again. Um, to make sure there's regular communication with all the families at her school. So these are just two examples of some of the good work happening from school nurses across the country. We know there's many, many more folks doing great things. And we just wanted to say, you know, in these times where folks are celebrating the work of healthcare workers, that we're not forgetting our, our school healthcare workers and our school nurses who are who are still, even in this distance learning school reality, are, uh, are doing what they can to help support the needs of kids and families. So shout out to all the, the school nurses out there making, making a big difference.
1: Absolutely. That's dope. All right, folks, this is the end of this episode. And as we reminded you last episode, if you're new to our show... We have tons of content, tons of other topics that we've been addressing since well before this COVID-19 crisis. So if you enjoy what you're hearing or what you're watching, do consider going over to our website, aotashow.com, and digging through those crates and seeing, seeing all the other topics that we've addressed and all the other dope guests that we've had on our show. All right, so thank you for tuning in this week, and we will catch you next time.